On the White House lawn, September the 15th, 2020, the peace agreements brokered by the United States of America between Israel, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain were signed. The peace agreements between the nations would be known as the Abraham Accords, in homage to the biblical patriarch of both Jews and Muslims. The Accords have ushered in a new era for Israel and the Gulf region, enabling diplomatic relations, trade, commerce, tourism and cultural exchange. The Accords have the potential to impact the trajectory of the Middle East. The Abraham Accords podcast will be your source of quality conversation for anyone interested in the region with weekly guests on a range of topics from all signatory nations. My name is Robert Curtis and I will be co-hosting this podcast with Fleur Hassan Nahum, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem and my co-founder of the UAE Israel Business Council. Thank you for joining us. Fleur, welcome back to another great episode. We are excited to be welcoming someone very special to the episode this week, Ilan Carr, who is the US Special Envoy for Combating Anti-Semitism. But before I do that, Fleur, how's everything doing? We've just entered another lockdown here in Israel. So um, Ilan's going to provide us with the entree into um, another few weeks, unfortunately, of hopefully the final stretch of this horrid COVID-19. We're hoping it's going to be the final stretch. We really, people are tired. We want to get back to our lives. We have an incredible peace accords to be getting on with. And uh, yeah, Rob, we're all, you know, crossing our fingers this is the last time. I think we're all very proud of the way Israel has managed the uh, vaccine rollout. And uh, we wish all the other countries the best of luck, including, of course, the U.S., um, which will be going through its own transition in another few weeks. And we're so, so honored to have Ilan Carr on our show, on our podcast. I met Ilan Carr uh, probably over a year ago in the Muni Expo, um, and we have a lot in common. Uh, also, Ilan is a uh, Sfardi Mizrahi like me. And so we've always had lots of fantastic conversation about food, customs, traditions, and much more. But today we're going to talk about some serious, serious topics. Um, and welcome, welcome, Ilan, on our podcast. Well, thank you, Fleur. All true. It's such a pleasure. Every time we spend time together, I enjoy it so much. And, uh, and thank you for your leadership, um, your leadership of the um, eternal capital, of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. Uh, thank you for having me uh, on your show. And uh, and what you said also, I want to uh, join in congratulating the state of Israel on a on really a, a model, a, a, an international model of uh, of vaccination efficacy, speed, efficiency. It's um, it's wonderful. And yet, one more example of of why the United States and Israel uh, have the close alliance we do. Best friends. Our two countries uh, share the same values and. Uh, and we take care of people. We care about people. Um, and that's a core value of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. It's a core value of the United States. And so all of us as Americans, we're so proud of the friendship that we have with the state of Israel. Appreciate that introduction and fully concur. Just for our listeners who aren't aware of your role and remit, um, in some ways, it's sad that your role has to exist, but it's very important that it does, given that the um, realities of the world we face mean that your, your work is very much needed. But it'd be great if you could just give us a, a 360 view of what your, your remit is as the special envoy for combating anti-Semitism. 
Certainly. So I, I serve as the senior diplomat of the United States uh, on the issue of anti-Semitism, the senior advisor to the Secretary of State on this issue. And I lead um, US policy and programs aimed at combating this, this resilient, ancient, yet modern um, sickness, really, that is anti-Semitism. I think it speaks uh, volumes about the values of the United States that we have a position uh, created by overwhelming bipartisan majorities of Congress um, that is dedicated to combating Jew hatred around the world. Um, I think there are two reasons for that. One is because um, the United States understands that, that um, if, if you really wanna be dedicated to your values, um, you've got to fight this scourge, this scourge that is, um, you know, that has wrought such, such evil and destruction. Um, but the second reason is, is that, you know, President Trump, whenever he talks about anti-Semitism, he always calls it the vile poison of anti-Semitism. It's a very apt description. It really is a vile poison. Anti-Semitism is not only about Jews, although certainly Jews are its primary target. Anti-Semitism is unique in its ubiquity, its longevity, and its destructive power. Um, it's really history's greatest barometer of human suffering. And, and so it's a vile poison because every society that has imbibed the poison has inevitably been destroyed by it. Now you look at movements that define themselves through anti-Semitism, right? Movements for which anti-Semitism isn't ancillary or a footnote, but really a core defining feature. Well, Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany murdered 6 million Jews, but also left an entire continent in ruins. Now let's look at today. Which movements in the world today in the last few years are defined by anti-Semitism? Anti-Semitism is a core defining feature. Well, the Islamic Republic of Iran, Al-Qaeda, um, Hezbollah, um, ISIS, right? These are movements that, that certainly threaten Jews and certainly threaten the Jewish state, but really threaten civilization. I mean, these are movements that, that undermine world peace and world stability. And so over and over again, we see examples of this that really, as the president says, anti-Semitism is a vile poison. And so, and so you know, you wanna, you wanna elevate the human condition. You wanna, you wanna uh, reduce human suffering. You wanna make the world a better place. Um, capture that potential for a better future for our kids, for our grandkids. This has to be one of the first addresses. You have to fight this, this great evil. And sadly, this, this evil has been rising for the last uh, 10, 15 years. And so uh, this is an urgent fight. And I'm so proud that our administration, that my boss, Secretary Pompeo, and his boss, the president, and really the entire administration has been committed in unprecedented fashion to fighting anti-Semitism, to protecting the Jewish people, and to supporting the state of Israel. We've never had this level of commitment by, by an American administration. And on that note, um, and bringing us back to the Abraham Accords, Ilan, the last time I saw you was in Dubai, and you were going on a very interesting trip to a number of Gulf countries uh, to talk about the work that you do. Um, what can you tell us about the reception and about the willingness now of the Gulf countries to put aside very ugly decades of anti-Semitism in their education, in their press? How do you feel or how did you feel you were received 
And how do you see things going forward now uh, uh, from here? So it was incredibly exciting uh, to be there. And, but first I've, I've got to lay some, some groundwork here because it's been, it's been our MO from day one to tear down this false distinction between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. You know, you hear people say, well, anti-Zionism can bleed into, no, no, it doesn't bleed into, it is. Let's be very clear. Um, you know, denial of, of national self-determination to the Jewish people exclusively um, among, among all peoples of the world, um, demonization or delegitimization of the one Jewish state in the world is anti-Semitism. And so this has been absolutely, we are crystal clear. Um, you know, my boss, Secretary Pompeo stood before 18, this is now two years ago or a year and a half ago, stood before 18,000 <clears throat> activists at a, an APAC policy conference. And he said, let me go on the record. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And many things flow from that, right? So he stood right next to Prime Minister Netanyahu in Jerusalem just a few weeks ago and said, you know, we're going to make an announcement. The BDS movement, the, the, the anti-Israel discriminatory BDS movement is a manifestation of anti-Semitism. The United States is defining it as such. And so we've been really uh, crystal morally clear on this. We're not willing um, to, to pretend as though hatred of the Jewish state is anything other than hatred of the Jewish people. And so that's why the Abraham Accords are so important. I, I saw one headline that said, you know, the, the Abraham Accords are the death of BDS. So I, I think that might be a little premature, but I think there's some truth to saying that, that this is really the beginning of the end. Once you have acceptance of, of a Jewish state in the Jewish homeland by the Arab world, it becomes not impossible, but increasingly more difficult for these, these anti-Zionist types of anti-Semites in Europe or on, on campuses to, um, you know, to, to derive support uh, for their views. And that's why this is so important. And what so encourages me, Flo, is that, is that the Abraham Accords aren't, aren't simply a piece that is committed to a piece of paper. This is a real piece between people. Well, I'll tell you a story. I was in the White House when the Abraham Accords were signed and a senior delegate of one of the Arab countries, I don't wanna say which one, but you know, I, I, I know the, I've been negotiating deals with them. And so I've gotten to know them. He ran up to me and he was, he was exuberant. He was absolutely exuberant. And he said, he said, don't think this is going to be a cold piece. This is not gonna be a cold piece. We will do great things together. I want you, I, I got choked up. I mean, I really, it was so emotional to hear the, that level of excitement and affection uh, from an, a prominent Arab leader. And I've seen this all over. I mean, these examples recur over and over and over again. And, um, and like you said, I just returned from the Gulf. I was in, I was in uh, Dubai, I was in Abu Dhabi, I was in Qatar. And it's amazing the extent, of course, uh, Qatar has not joined in the accords yet. <clears throat> Although very exciting news about Qatar in terms of, of the in terms of uh, you know Gulf Accords and, and ending the conflict, but the level of of uh, of true affection, the excitement to embrace the Jewish people and the state of Israel as a real partner in peace, for the sake of a better future for all the region's children, 
is truly, truly exciting. Now, you know, in, in terms of your specific question on educational curricula, this has been my priority from day one. My the first public speech I gave in this role after I was appointed two years ago was the need to, to extirpate any, uh, any hint of anti-Semitic content from textbooks and curricula because, well, first of all, teaching children to hate other children is, is just cruel. I mean, it's, it's truly evil. But second of all, when you indoctrinate children, you're, you're poisoning a whole generation. And so this is what we're working on. I'm proud to say we, we, uh, we executed a groundbreaking agreement with the Kingdom of Bahrain, the King Hamad Center for Peaceful Coexistence. Um, never been anything like this. This is an agreement with an Arab entity to fight anti-Semitism together. The US Department of State, the, the Arab world, right? An Arab entity in the Arab world fighting anti-Semitism, including educational curricula, including programs for kids teaching affection between our peoples. And, and here's the key, here's the key. The language is very, very clear. It says, we will work together to combat, quote, all forms of anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. including anti-Zionism and the delegitimization of the state of Israel. An Arab entity has never signed on to language like that. And so this is what we're seeing. It's a new world, it's a new Middle East. And, um, and I wanna thank these brave countries, the UAE and Bahrain and Sudan and Morocco and the list goes on. But also, also, um, of course, uh, this would not have happened without the leadership of President Trump, uh, Secretary Pompeo, the peace team, Jared and Avi and Brian Hook, and of course, David Friedman, my dear friend, David Friedman. They have, under the president's leadership, uh, the United States has, has led the Middle East to the place where we dreamed it could go for, for decades we've been dreaming about this. And so truly, truly, I mean, thank God for this day and may we see more of these wonderful peace agreements. Look, fully, fully concur with everything that you say. Amen. And, and um, certainly, you know, I, I, I think the region as a whole, and you'll, you'll perhaps resonate with this because uh, obviously I, I learned that your, your mother is Iraqi and fled Iraq to Israel um, you know, post-state of Israel establishment, but certainly Jews, Sephardi Jews lived in Arab lands for hundreds of years, coexisting. Yes, there were, I'm sure, were squirmishes, but by and large, coexisted extremely well together with the Arab peoples. They're, at the end of the day, they're family, they're cousins. And this is really just the return of a relationship that um, paused for a period of time, but was rooted in that, that anti-Zionism that leaked into and, and essentially is the modern version of anti-Semitism. Um, yes, Robert beautifully said, that's exactly right. And, and as an Iraqi Jew myself, I know full well that, uh, you know, not only was the, the Talmud written in what is today Iraq, but the first yeshivot, uh, Surah, Pumbedita, Nahardea, the first yeshivot were in we're in Muslim Iraq in the Arab world. And, and there were peace. I mean, there were obviously there were times of discrimination, but, um, but there were also beautiful times of, of mutual, not only, not only tolerance, and this is a mystery, we sometimes extol tolerance as the chief virtue, but it's beyond tolerance, it's real affection. Um, and, uh, and so I think those of us who, you know, who have our lineage in, in the Arab world understand uh, what the Middle East could be. And to see it returning to that is, is profoundly, profoundly exciting. And so I, I couldn't be, I couldn't be prou more proud of, 
of, of these great countries, including Israel, and more proud of, of our administration for, for leading us to this place. Really, really incredible. And, and truly, we are, we are building a better world for, for all the region's children. Absolutely. I mean, as, as, as I also have my roots, as you know, in Morocco and in Muslim Spain. And I actually feel that Mizrahi Sephardi Jews have a very important role to play in all of this, because I believe that the cultural um, things that we have in common are such a very organic bridge um, to the Arab world. I know how I'm received, just like you're talking about, Ilan, with such affection and such a desire and thirst for a warm peace. All I've had, and everybody knows I'm an Israeli official, everybody knows I come from, I come from Jerusalem, and everybody has been just extremely hospitable, extremely warm. I haven't had one eye roll or one bad moment in, I went to Dubai, I've been to Bahrain, in, in, in these countries, it's just really something that we never, as you say, we never thought of, we're very grateful because the administration changed, not just changed the reality, changed the paradigm of the entire Middle East and what could be. Um, and of course the erroneous, um, the erroneous thoughts for years that, you know, that we could never have peace with the Arab world without solving the Palestinian problems. And therefore the Palestinians could drag everybody for years um, that I think is really one of the things that will go down in history because that's turned the course of history. And so I'm, you know, we're so grateful in Israel for that. We're so grateful for, for the fact that people like you have been leading the charge and we can't wait to see what happens next. Let me just people, say something quickly about that, if I may, very quickly about that. Yes, you know, we, yes. One, one, of of the, one of the most uh, exciting initiatives that, that in our in our global fight against anti-Semitism, you know, a lot of what we do is defensive uh, inherently because anti-Semitism is an onslaught and you have to defend against it. But we've also uh, gone on the offense and we have launched philo-Semitism initiatives in multiple countries, including in the United mm. States, because the way to go on the offense against Jew hatred is not, is not to, you know, the opposite, like I said before, isn't tolerance. The opposite is affection for the Jewish people. And so we've launched this initiative to, to teach, to actually develop curricula and teach philo-Semitism, you know, an understanding of, of Jewish history, the profound, incredible contributions of the Jewish people to civilization and certainly to every country in which there, there has been a Jewish community. This is a very, very important point um, to what you just said about Jewish history in the Arab world. We don't just want to remove anti-Semitic curricula from textbooks. We want to replace it. And we want to replace it with exactly this um, uh, knowledge, actual a curriculum that teaches about Jewish history in the Middle East, about how Arabs and Jews as people, how Judaism and Islam as religions interacted um, and interacted in many cases uh, over the centuries beautifully well. I think it, the time is right for this, not only because of the Abraham Accords, but because what I'm seeing like you, you said, in the way you were received in the region, I, I'm really seeing a nostalgia for the Jewish history in the Arab world. Arabs, I think, are, are hungering to, to reacquaint themselves with what really was lost. Um, and it was lost due to anti-Semitism. I mean, you know, <clears throat> yes, my family's Iraqi and, and we know about the good history, but look, we also know about the bad history. My grandfather was arrested. My mother watched 
her father be dragged away wow. and, and thrown in prison. Um, and he stayed in prison for years for no reason other than, than being Jewish. And so, and so that, that, those communities, Iraq, uh, Syria, Egypt, you know, much of North Africa, other than Morocco, much of North Africa, gone. And I, I'm really seeing a hunger that Arabs have to, to reacquaint with that. So the time really is right to develop these, these philo-Semitic curricula and really make sure that we're teaching kids what the, who the Jewish people are. This is the cultural element of the peace process and the Abraham Accords that, um, and a big strand of that encapsulates your jurisdiction of educating the generations that are coming through to the history of Jew of Jews, the Jewish history in their region, um, and, and likewise, an understanding here in Israel, actually, of more of the um, Jewish Arab history in the region and an understanding of, 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 of like-minded people around there. So it's, it's generational and it's educational that, that delivers the real next stage of the Abraham Accords that we're not going to see for, you know, 20, 30 years, I think. But the, 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 there's a great future if we get that education piece right. If, but we've got to get it right. We can't ignore that. And, and that's why I'm, you know, we've been so strong on this issue. The idea that you can sign, I mean, look, this was the, the demise of the Oslo Accords, right? Um, the idea that you can simply sign something and, and that would somehow transform a people indoctrinated in Jew hatred. I mean, it's, it's in indoctrination to the point where from the moment they can walk, uh, and this is particularly bad in the Palestinian uh, communities, you know, from the moment they can walk, they're, they're taught to hate Jews. Um, you know, I was shocked that during the last administration, um, during the Obama administration, uh, the Palestinian Authority um, rewrote their textbooks and the textbooks went from bad to worse, to worse. Now this isn't during the Trump administration. Absolutely, it got worse. They got worse, and this is before the Trump administration. And the PA textbooks are so bad that Hamas uses them. Hamas doesn't feel the need to use their own textbooks, they use the PA textbooks. So, I mean, look, <clears throat> this is the idea that you can, <clears throat> you can simply ignore that, sign something and think that, that you know, flowers will bloom. I mean, it just, the world doesn't work that way. <laughs> and so, so thank God, first of all, these Gulf states and, and Morocco don't have that kind of content in their textbooks, number one. And number two, they are interested in a real peace between people, uh, not simply a piece of paper, but a real peace between people. And so we have to exploit that by working with them to really develop these sorts of initiatives that bring, bring people together. 100% agree with you and, you know, and, Honestly, that also in terms of the UNRWA funding of Palestinian schools, uh, Hamas schools with zero, zero accountability for the curriculum, which is teaching hatred is just, it, it's, it's just heartbreaking. And I have to tell you, when, I, when I, was, I went to Dubai for the first time, I was speaking to some of my new friends and I asked them, tell me something, when did incitement or when did anti-Semitic you know, language or terms end in your curriculum here because there was there's also a history in, in most Arab countries of a curriculum um, that is not friendly towards Israel and the Jewish people. And they said about 10, 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, the rhetoric changed. So I thought to myself, if it takes 10 years for people to be emotionally ready to make peace with Israel, all we're doing, all the UN is doing is perpetuating there's no question. The, um, the conflict. 
They're perpetuating the conflict. They're paying all the European countries, all the world is paying to perpetuate the conflict, take, take us further away from peace and not closer to peace. 100%, which is why President Trump, when he saw what was going on in these textbooks, said not a penny of US money is gonna to go to this anymore. We will not subsidize Jew hatred. We're gonna combat Jew hatred and not pay for it. And that's why we defunded UNRWA. And because we said not, you know, these books are not gonna be printed with US, you know, the hard, the hardworking um, tax, taxes of, of hardworking Americans. We're not gonna do that anymore. And so President Trump um, defunded UNRWA and that's why. And, and by the way, if the Europeans were willing to do that, um, I, think, I think things would change very quickly. Um, by the way, there's an indication that's beginning. You know, I, you saw the report from Sweden. Sweden was appalled at, at these books <clears throat> and said, this is a real problem. We have a, we have a problem with, with, you know, Swedish money going, going to these, to, going to print these books. I think more and more countries in Europe are appreciating, you know, when they see the Abraham Accords and, and they see that, you know what, peace, peace uh, has to be built on truth. And when you, when you, ignore these festering problems or when you engage in fantasy like well you know Jerusalem somehow isn't part of Israel which is you know a, a fantasy that that the world engaged in for years we don't do that anymore of course in the United States that that doesn't bring peace we didn't get peace that way we got peace this way by saying by saying that we are going to state the truth. We're going to stand with our friends. We're going to call out injustice. We're not going to turn the other way. We're going to say, this is wrong. When we see wrong, we're going to say it's wrong. And look what's happening. We're getting peace in the world. And so this really needs to be a, a, a widely learned lesson um, in, in statecraft for all countries in the world to understand how, you know, how to get to that better place for the world. Jared Kushner said something prophetic. If you look at his speech, <clears throat> when we moved our embassy to Jerusalem and recognized, of course, uh, the fact of, of Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. Um, his speech was prophetic. He said, he said, when there is peace in this region, he didn't say it, he said, when there is peace in this region, people will look back at this moment and say, this began it because we are saying the truth. We are standing with our friends and we're standing the truth. And, and look, uh, the, 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 the proof is in the pudding, as they say. I mean, we've, we've, we've got we, things that, that were unimaginable are happening in the region. And I, I hope that really is a lesson um, to, to the world and to, you know, to, uh, to future uh, U.S. administrations, that this is really how we make the world a better place. Ilan, I want to zoom out from our backyard here in the Middle East and zoom into your own backyard in the United States. Um, one of the things that we said earlier on was the canary in the coal mine concept that those organizations or institutions that have anti-Semitism creeping into their, their, their ethos um, is the beginning of the, the end for those, those establishments or organizations or nations. Within the United States and certainly around, around the world and particularly obviously in Europe for, for a long time, anti-Semitism on campus in universities has been a serious, serious scourge. You know, it fits in with the, almost it's the early, early red light warning towards the lack of ability to have free speech and share ideas on the very place where you can actually, and supposed to develop those ideas and, and concepts. University campuses have become 
deeply liberal, deeply woke, deeply embedded in um, uh, cancel culture and a, a view of, of Israel that is by all proportions out of, out of perspective. How, how are you within your role impacting what's happening on campus? Because I, I, I feel that whilst we might get it right in our own backyard, anti-Semitism is seriously on the rise everywhere else. Well, the campuses um, in many, on far too many uh, campuses in far too many cases are an absolute disgrace. Uh, I know a great deal about this because before I was appointed to this role, um, you know, I was the international president of AEPI, um, the International Jewish Fraternity, and the, the students of AEPI are really on the front lines of this. And when I was president of AEPI, I, you know, I, I led 10,000 students on 180 campuses in five countries. And I will tell you that it is bad. It is very, very bad. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, a kid at a premier uh, university, um, I won't say which one, but a really top university gave me <clears throat> the answer sheet to his math class. And, you know, it says the derivative of so-and-so is such and such, the integral of so, and then it says, another day in the occupied Palestinian territory, Zionist forces murdering children. And then it goes back to math. And the kid who gave this to me said it in a voice really reflecting exhaustion, just exhaustion said to me in math class, I can't even escape this in math class. And that's right, you can't escape this even in math class because this is a, a full pathological uh, hatred and an, and an indoctrination, a constant indoctrination against um, not only Jews in, in Israel, but really against, <clears throat> against America. I mean, th this is what's going on on campus is really an indoctrination against the United States, against American values. And it is a, it is disgraceful. And, and I will tell you now as in, in my role as envoy, I've met with Jewish student leaders um, in, in multiple countries. And what I hear from Jewish student leaders in Europe, in Western Europe, is the same as I hear and I have heard for many years from Jewish student leaders in, in the United States. And that is, if you wanna be safe as a Jewish student on campus, if you wanna be able to go through your campus unmolested, you have to detach yourself completely from that part of your Jewish identity. You cannot have any connection to Israel. Certainly you can't use the Z word in, in, a, in, a, in any kind of positive way. You know, Zionism, woe to you if you should, if you should be a Zionist. It's a, as, as, uh, as, our, as your former consul general in New York said, they've turned Zionism into a four letter word. Um, and it's really, uh, Danny, Diane said that, and it's really, it's, it's really the case. And so it's appalling. So this has been a priority of, of my team uh, we've focused on this. We have uh, elevated um, the focus on campuses. Um, we drove new policies in this regard. I, I'm, I'm happy to say that, <clears throat> that the, although I didn't write this, uh, this, this came from the White House staff, but, but in a moment that, that is absolutely a sea change, President Trump last December issued an executive order protecting these besieged Jewish college students by applying Title VI civil rights protections to Jews, that same executive order adopts the IRA definition for the full interagency. The State Department had been using IRA for a while, but, but the executive order adopted for the full federal government. And, um, and you know, I was at the White House when the president signed this. And after he signed it, he looked right at the cameras and he said, let me make this very clear to you. If you are a university president and you are promoting 
the discrimination and harassment of your Jewish students, you are going to lose a lot of money. This is going to be very expensive for you. And, you know, when the president of the United States says that, that clearly, that un, with no nuance or apology, I promise you there's not a single university administrator in the country that didn't hear, hear those words very clearly. And so this is a sea change. Alan Dershowitz was there at the White House and he said, he said, in, I've been on campus for, for four and a half decades. No, I think he said more. I think he said 50 years. He said, this is the most important moment of my life. Wow. When it comes to fighting campus anti-Semitism, this executive order, this moment is the most important I've ever experienced. I mean, it's really amazing. And, and so again, we just have to, we just have to say that, you know, we have to be uh, grateful for an administration that, that has prioritized this. And now, of course, the follow through is to continue to, to keep watch on what's happening uh, on these campuses and to make sure that Jewish students are protected and the, not, the, not the, subjected the, to harassment. The, the, the same policy that enables speak, free speech through your First Amendment uh, of the Constitution, <clears throat> that, that enables um, you know, hate speech to be almost unfettered online, because it is protected by that First Amendment right. The same goes on campus, I presume, that um, I, I can say what I want. Um, and that, that, that isn't helpful. There are some downsides to that First Amendment, right? Well, for the, first of all, the executive order protects Jewish students from harassment and discrimination. It doesn't protect Jewish students from speech they don't like. Um, harassment and discrimination are not protected by the First Amendment. <clears throat> and of course, the great irony is some liberal papers attacked the president for that executive order and said, well, this is a violation of the First Amendment. You know, you always hear from people who want to traffic in anti-Semitism whenever you call them out, or even go try, go try adopting the IRA definition on a campus. They'll yell and scream First Amendment. And of course, this is a red herring. I mean, you know, they, 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 their posture is such that they believe that only they have free speech rights. They have the rights to spout anti-Semitism, but if you try to condemn them for it, then it's a violation of their rights. Well, what about, what about our rights to condemn anti-Semitism? That's also protected by the First Amendment. So this is this is utter nonsense. Now let me get to your to your point in a deeper way. Um, America, uh, American values, freedom of speech. It is a core principle of the United States. We don't see it as a downside. We see it as an asset, <clears throat> and that means that that <clears throat> even vile, despicable um, speech is protected as long as it doesn't rise to the level of a crime. Right? And we're not talking about incitement to violence. Some anti-Semitic speech is clearly an incitement to violence and, and is illegal, but the vast majority of it is despicable, it's vile, it's appalling, it's immoral, but it is protected by the First Amendment because America doesn't believe that the answer to despicable hate speech is censorship America or, or punishment, but that the answer is meeting that with, <clears throat> with good speech, with elevating speech, with educational speech. Um, by the way, even the Nazis, could march in Skokie, Illinois, Supreme Court case of the United States that they had a First Amendment right to do that. <clears throat> now I'll say two things about that. First of all, that doesn't mean you can't condemn it. And that doesn't mean it's not anti-Semitism and that doesn't mean you don't define it as such, number one. Number two, it doesn't mean you can't do anything. Just because it's protected from censorship and punishment doesn't mean there are no answers. And so because of the pervasive problem of anti-Semitism online, um, we organized, my team and I, um, 
the first ever, this was convened by Secretary Pompeo, the first ever US government sponsored conference on combating online anti-Semitism. Never before happened. We did it specifically because we said, we've got to within the framework of the first amendment, come up with answers. How do you deal with this tsunami, which is what it is, Robert, it's a tsunami of anti-Semitism and, and not only anti-Semitism. I mean, hate of all stripes is to be found alive and well on the internet and on social media. And, and how do you address this? Um, look, um, why is it, I'm often asked, how is it that 75 years uh, after the Holocaust, anti-Semitism is rising? And I would say, well, it's actually 65 or 60 years after because it's been rising for 15 years now. Why is that? Well, it tracks exactly the increasing influence of the internet and social media in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, hate, hate mongers, whereas they used to have to, you know, go to meetings and, and, and rally people and, and get people to, now they, they can sit in a darkened room and with a single click, drive their venom uh, with unprecedented speed and global reach. And that's why it's been rising. And, and also, why is there so much polarization in the world today? Let's put aside anti-Semitism. Why is there increasing hatred of all kinds? Why is there political polarization in so many countries, including mine? Um, a lot of it is, is online activity. Now, again, you, the answer is not to ban it or censor it or prohibit it or punish it. But the answer is to have a coordinated, focused campaign to meet destructive, hateful speech with educating, elevating speech. And that's what our conference was intended to do. I'm proud to say that it's already having an effect. Um, we had a social media panel uh, with some of these tech giants. And uh, right after we taped that panel, Facebook announced that it is changing its policies on Holocaust denial and deeming Holocaust denial and minimization to be a form of anti-Semitism by definition. And, and here's the key, they adopted the, def the, the suggestion we made to them in that panel. They said, and in addition to defining it such, we're going to begin referring our users to off-platform sources of credible information about the Holocaust, to educate about the Holocaust. And they're working with the US Holocaust Memorial Museum and others. And so here's a perfect First Amendment example. You know, you have people dabbling in hate speech. You're going to say, okay, here's, you know, this is what you're, what you're saying is anti-Semitic. Here are sources. You know, you can learn about the Holocaust. You can educate yourself. And this is the beginning, I think, of a whole new approach to this. We're very excited about it. And it's critical, critical that we deal with this this contagion, which is what it is. It is a contagion of, of, of online hatred uh, that is spreading all around the world. And it's, it's, really a, <clears throat> it's really dangerous. But both the legacy media and online media- Quite give an the achievement. Give, give the tacit support for this, this underlying tone of anti-Semitism, that being anti-Israel is part of the passage of rights of being a good liberal today. That, oh, um, that, that, that and, and the media does, does the, the legacy media and certainly the the online media you know when you're allowing you know Ayatollah Khomeini to say death to the Jews at the same time censoring free speech from politicians in in the USA you know that that is just bonkers to me I mean I'm putting it in you know British bonkers <laughs> we we say bonkers occasionally too I, you know I <laughs> I uh you know I agree with you you know I as I've I've said in the past you know you you call yourself an anti-Semite in, in polite company and they'll run you out of town. You call yourself an anti-Zionist, they'll give you tenure. Um, and so 
that's really what's going on. And we've got to confront it. That's why I cannot overstate the importance of, of the leaders of the United States saying without nuance, let me make this clear, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And to, to you know, totally erase that false distinction um, is absolutely critical. And so we have, I think, been, been very effective in, in, in not only saying that, but in, in, in you know, promulgating that ideology and bringing it to bear. We, we, we make our diplomatic case. We sit down with interlocutors around the world and we say there is no difference. And we say hatred of the Jewish state is hatred of the Jewish people. And so there's a reason why, you know, President Macron said that and adopted the IRA definition. There's a reason why the German Bundestag voted that BDS is a manifestation of anti-Semitism, and then the Austrian National Parliament followed that as well. There's a reason why <clears throat> that that Jeremy Corbyn and his his cabal's um, reflexive, pathological, um, uh, you know, anti you know Israel hatred and anti-Zionism was defeated, resoundingly defeated in the polls. And you know what a win when. Ordinary Brits in exit polls say that that anti-Semitism was one of the reasons they voted the way they voted. I mean, this is a an incredible, a breathtaking win. Why is this happening around the world? It's happening because there is an increasing realization that you just can't pretend that hatred of the one Jewish state, which isn't just a country with some Jews in it, it's the Jewish state. It is the, the sovereign manifestation of Jewish national self-determination. Hatred of that entity is anti-Semitic. And, and I think these things would not be happening were it not for the strong, principled, unapologetic, unnuanced leadership of President Trump and Secretary Pompeo. I completely agree with you. And the, you know, the, the fact that it was done in such an unapologetic way, all we've seen is apologies for so many years. And this was just, you know, clear and moral clarity as we haven't seen for many years. But I wanna ask you a question, and this is something that I guess the administration has been criticized of um, for, and that is enabling, um, enabling the kind of right wing of America um, in their anti-Semitic views. How would you, what would you think about that? Are you concerned about anti-Semitism on the right as well? Do you, um, oh, I mean, do you think there's any credence that somehow President Trump has enabled this? How, how, how do you react to that? No, I don't think there's any credence to that at all. And I, <clears throat> I think he's been very, very clear. Um, Anti-Semitism is a vile poison. He condemns it from all sources and from wherever it comes. I can tell you that, <clears throat> that you know, we're the first administration ever to have designated a far-right white supremacist anti-Semitic group as a terrorist organization. Uh, President Trump signed into law the Never Again Education Act that ensures that, that future generations of American kids will learn about the Holocaust uh, and where you know, right-wing anti-Semitism leads. <clears throat> so President, you know, the White House sent me to, to speak at the funeral of Lori Kay, who was murdered in, in Chabad of Poway uh, by a right-wing terrorist and mm. and on behalf of the White House I was I was asked to say we are at war with these anti-semites these these ethnic supremacist anti-semites I said that on behalf of the president so <clears throat> no I don't think there's any credence to that at all what I will say is this I know President Trump is <clears throat> is a right of center leader he is 
the American equivalent of a nationalist. I don't use that word in, in America because America is not a traditional nation state, but you, you can say it's roughly, you know, you have, you have nationalist movements in the world. Um, by the way, Zionism is one of them. Uh, Zionism is a nationalist movement. And, and whenever you have um, a, in rising nationalism, it also risks you know, elevating the fringe extremists on the far right. Um, and by the way, the opposite is true as well. When you have a, a left of center political movement, it will also elevate the fringe left of center crazies. And, and, but that's not, that's not by intention. Well, maybe sometimes it is with some leaders, but that's often not by intention. And, and we saw the same thing in the Obama administration, right? Obama is, is a, is a, you know, clearly a liberal American president that was really led a liberal movement in the United States. And we saw anti-Semitism rising on campuses tremendously um, <clears throat> during those era, during those years. Now that's not because President Obama intended that result. It's because that's what happened. So what do you do about it? Well, you have to condemn it. You have to say that, you know, I always say the, di the distinction is there's a difference between nationalism, which is affection for one's people, and, and supremacism, which is hatred of everyone else. One doesn't necessitate the other, any more so than Zionism is racism, so right? True. Which is what, which is what so the anti-Zionists anti say, Zionism is racism. It is not racism. Are there Zionists who could be racists? Of course. Are there nationalists who could be supremacists? Of course, but then you have to condemn that. You you draw these distinctions and you you condemn the evil, but you don't you don't reject legitimate movements and legitimate politics because some people are are regrettably you know regrettably filled with poison and hatred of the other, and so President Trump I will say has been has been crystal clear that that Jew hatred is evil unacceptable, and he has stood with the Jewish people like no one else, and so I don't think he's there's no credence at all uh, to suggest that he's enabled. Uh, these these haters. One of the things that we're certainly hearing on the ground here in Israel, and certainly from you know friends and family around the world who perhaps are Jews of sort of center center right tendencies, that from January the twentieth, there's more for us to worry about in a Biden administration that the Abraham Accords will pause, <laughs> and that the efforts that you've expressed so beautifully here today. And um, the, the administration under President Trump has really pushed towards um, a, a greater understanding and fight against anti-Semitism will we'll look and feel different. There will be a, a, a pushing of the brakes and there'll be a different dynamic. Well, there certainly will be a different dynamic because every administration is different. Every president is different. Um, I, you know, I can't predict how uh, our successors will will govern, um, but I very much hope that you know the fight against Jew hatred with moral clarity um, uh, would be would be embraced by any American leader, and and I would hope that no president would would attenuate that fight or ignore any part of the the source of Jew hatred. You know, Jew hatred comes from three sources. The far right is one of them. But the far left is another, and militant Islam is a third. And you know, as I always say it, you know, if, if you if you leave two thirds or even one third of a tumor untreated, the patient doesn't do well. And so, if you were serious about fighting anti-Semitism, you have to fight all three, and that's what we've done. 
If you look at our conference on anti-Semitism, which is on the State Department website, that's the conference I spoke about, about online anti-Semitism, you'll see us address the right um, as much as we address the left in, in, our, in, in that conference. Uh, another example of how the Trump administration really has uh, condemned it from all sources. And so I would hope that, that, uh, that you know, no president would, would ignore any source of, of this vile poison of Jew hatred. I would hope that every uh, president would, would you know, look at you know, this, the delegitimization, the demonization of the state of Israel and say that is anti-Semitism and that is wrong. I would hope that every administration would, uh, would look at what's going on on campuses and, and be appalled by what's happening on college campuses. Um, again, I can't predict, but, but you know, I certainly would hope that, that I mean, my goodness, if, if, uh, if combating anti-Semitism uh, isn't, uh, isn't a bipartisan aim, then, then we've really uh, lost our ability to, uh, to find common ground on everything. And so I, I would hope that, uh, that every American president and, and administration would appreciate the urgency of, of this fight against this terrible human disease that, that has been with us and, and recurs generation after generation. Ilan, beautiful words, and I, and I hope, and I, I share your optimism, and I, I do believe this, this, this is actually everybody's obligation to eradicate all hatred, but certainly the hatred that for some reason we, we haven't managed to eradicate in so many hundreds of years. Um, we are really privileged that you had this role um, for the US uh, representing really um, and fighting this scourge. Um, we can't wait to see what you're going to be doing next, Ilan. But all I know is that wherever you go, you're going to put your mark there. Mark is a proud American, a proud Jew, proud Sephardi. Um, and we really hope that you come back again and again to Israel and grace us with your presence. Well, thank you, Fleur. And, and this, uh, you know, being in this role on behalf of the United States and really fighting on behalf of the Jewish people has been a breathtaking privilege. Uh, we've worked hard, and uh, and really, uh, it's been it's been a, a, a thrill every moment. And one of the great privileges of the role has been to work with incredible partners and leaders like you, Flo. And um, and it's been such a pleasure. I know we'll be friends forever, and I'll come visit you at the uh, in the eternal and undivided capital of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. I'll continue to come visit you. Thank you, Ilan. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate your insights and uh, wish you much, much success in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. All the best and all the best to all of our listeners today. Thank you for joining Fleur and I on the Abraham Accords podcast. Remember to subscribe so you can be updated on more episodes.